one. Let's welcome to Principles Podcast with Corey and Logan. I'm really excited about our guest today. Our guest today, uh, she's the director of communications at the Create Foundation. She serves and volunteers on many uh, nonprofits here in the North Mississippi area, including Salvation Army, the Sanctuary Hospice House. She's also top 40 under 40 in the Daily Journal of Northeast Mississippi area. So, Alvin Bennett, welcome to Principles with Corey and Logan. Thank you both so much. I'm so excited to be here and um, discuss leadership skills with you guys today. So, thank you for having me. Yeah, well, I know we're going to learn a lot from you. How about, uh, let, let's start, just share a little bit about who you are, what you do, and uh, some of your background for those that may not know who you are. Okay. I sure will. I think I would be amiss if I didn't start at the beginning. I was born in Riga, Latvia, which is a small European uh, country um, in Eastern Europe. Riga. I moved to the States. The what? I said Riga what? <laughs> Riga, Latvia. Oh. Um, in fact, recently I took an ancestry test just to prove that I really am who I say I am, and I'm 48% Latvian, Eastern European, and 48% Russian. Um, the other 4% are from Finland. So maybe that's my claim to fame is to be 4% Finland. I don't know. Right. So anyway, that's where I was born and raised until the age of nine. Uh, my mom got remarried um, to a gentleman that was in the military, and then we moved to the States. I grew up in Tishomingo County in Mississippi, Belmont. A very small town. Uh, graduated there and um, moved to Tupelo shortly after Tupelo, Mississippi, which is now my home. Um, and currently, I work for the Create Foundation as the communications director and the coordinator of Imagine the Possibilities Career Expo, which is an annual event that we host in Tupelo um, that has over 7,000 eighth graders come through over a three-day period to get a glimpse of uh, their possible career opportunities in our area. Um, so, yeah. I just want to say one thing on that, and uh, I know Logan wants to jump in and ask you something. That has really been awesome. We took our kids there this past year, and that, that was really cool. So, you guys do a great job with that. So. Thank you so much. It's definitely a team effort. I am one of three individuals that's a part of that. I, I, I usually refer to us as the tripod, even though a lot of times I'm the face and uh, I may be the final decision maker on some things. Um, in regards to the event, I could not do it without my colleagues. I work with Dr. Christy Luce, who um, is a retired school teacher of 27 years from the Tupelo Public School District who handles our schools and is the liaison for that. And then we have Dr. Larry Anderson, who is a consultant for our organization, and he handles the business and industry piece. It really takes all three of us. Um, we start nine months out. I used to compare it to like having a child. <laughs> Because we begin planning in uh, January every year, but that's how long it takes, you know, to make it look like it just appeared in the first week of October. But we put a lot of hours and preparations into that event. Um, and we are so thankful for the amazing community that we have that supports it. You know, all the business and industry that are part of that event are there on their own dime. Um, we don't charge them anything. We cover for the space through sponsorships and the Toyota Wellspring Fund, but 
business and industry are there because they believe in this program. They believe in our children. They believe in our community. So it's awesome to see our entire region come together to put on an event like that. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, can you give us a little bit of background on the Create Foundation for those that may not be familiar with it? Absolutely. Um, simply put, Create Foundation is a community foundation. Uh, we focus on community issues. We're also a vehicle for individuals um, to do the philanthropic work. Um, so we have donor advice funds where individuals can put their money there and disperse more easily. Um, they can also start their mini nonprofits with us or set up a scholarship for an individual that's special to them or maybe is deceased and they want to continue on that legacy. Um, we also have the Commission on Northeast Mississippi, which facilitates conversation between all 17 Northeast Mississippi counties that specifically focus on county issues. Um, one of the major ones that we are currently looking at is the passage of the broadband. Uh, need in our region so we support that and bring community leaders to discuss those opportunities and the biggest one is the tuition guarantee uh, program that has been around for several years now so individuals that are graduating in our counties um, are guaranteed two years uh, free of community college of their choice um, to support their educational learning and things like that so it's really cool we, we have our uh, we call them tentacles in a lot of different things. And um, I mostly see us as an organization that brings people together that otherwise may not have done so. A lot of people work in silos for a great mission, um, but knowledge and um, sharing of resources is so much better when you can bring every stakeholder around um, the region together to discuss those things. So that's, that's mostly what, a lot of what we do. Were you uh, on the Create Foundation team when the tuition guarantee program was rolled out? I was not. The Commission on Northeast Mississippi is uh, actually this year celebrating the 25 years of existence. I believe the program came out about 13 or 14 years ago. Um, I'm going to celebrate five years with the Create Foundation in September, which as a millennial, I never thought I would say, <laughs> uh, which is amazing. So that just tells you how impactful and um, how different of an organization they are. It, it really is uh, the two awesome things put together of um, giving back and really doing something that I love to do. But no, I was not, but I think it's really cool. And it's actually something that they try to pass through the legislature, but it was not able to get enough votes to do so. But believe it or not, the state of Tennessee took our model, uh, made it work for their state, and now they are booming. Now companies are calling them and saying, how many people can you train? What do we need to do? Uh, because they know that those students have those resources, so they're coming to them. It just helps their economy and their state. So um, you never know. It may get brought up again. I know people talk about it all the time, but um, it's not something that we've seen yet, but it does exist. That's, that's awesome. I actually, I asked because I was a student in high school that, and I remember when they announced it oh, okay. um, cool. and the opportunity that it created for a lot of people that were um, not going to, you know, try to pursue higher education. Um, that's right. I was, I was curious if uh, maybe you knew of any success stories, um, you know, maybe a specific example or two. 
of uh, anybody that has gone through that and opened some doors of opportunity as a result. I'm sure there are many. I'm sure there are many, but honestly, we are sort of the, the background person that doesn't ever, it, those stories probably don't make it far enough for us to get to. We're more the administrator on that end. We help <clears throat> the financial piece of it. But that's a very good question. I may have to look into that. I mean, I've always been curious, and I hear success stories with other programs, but I don't know if it's because it's been around for so long that maybe, you know, it's just kind of a back, people maybe just expect it now, or maybe they just assume we know what's happening. But um, recently, I have not heard of any stories, but as you said, I'm sure there are many, and I probably need to get to that. I'll make a note. Well, hey, everybody's stuck at home right now. I yeah. think it would be an awesome chance to maybe Perfect. get five. Perfect Maybe opportunity that took advantage of it and it's opened some, some opportunities for them. I, I think people would probably love to see a two minute interview of how that program impacted them and give them a tangible, um, a little bit of tangible feedback on the positive impact that's had in our community. Absolutely. I think that's uh, a great idea. Are you guys, I guess you're getting a really, uh, a really good case study right now on why the broadband projects are important, right? With the, with the need for more bandwidth with everybody working remotely right now. Absolutely. Well, that's um, something that Brendan Presley has carried all along. And of course, last year we supported him and rallied the troops to kind of uh, beat that drum, but he, he was pretty loud at doing that. So he is definitely the front person for making that happen for our region. And he's doing a wonderful job. Um, absolutely. That, that has been on our radar for a while now. It's just, um, with any difficult, with, I don't want to say difficult, um, with conversations that have a big impact on a community, it, it usually takes some time. It's not going to be something that happens overnight. You really have to have buy-in. People are sometimes reluctant to change or they're scared of change. Brennan has done a phenomenal job of bringing people from the outside who have done it, who are the true case studies that can explain it, hold your hand, answer all of your questions to get you to pull the trigger, so, so to speak. So it, it is, and you know, now, in fact, I, you know, with Governor Tate announcing that schools are closed for the Easter year, but he's, you know, encouraging distance learning. That's, you know, that may not be possible in a lot of the communities around our state, even in Northeast Mississippi, believe it or not. Um, in fact, two years ago when my husband and I were looking for a place to buy, you'd be shocked at how many places don't have internet that are where you think there should be internet. And that was like our priority. So I know that from my first hand experience, but then I think about all of the individuals and all the families that don't have that so what are they going to do and right now our public facilities are not open so like your libraries so resources where people typically would maybe go to but they can't even go there right now so then we're talking about you know stealing wi-fi from the mcdonald's but you know there's only so many parking spots and there's only so much bandwidth that you can share or get um so yeah with that i think i think we we have to move a little quicker um, and do a lot more. I think Brennan is doing a phenomenal job there, but it's definitely still something that's lacking in our area, and we're going to continue working towards it. Well, hopefully um, 
with the pandemic and the, the things that we're experiencing now, um, that need is highlighted a little bit more and it kind of gives you guys the ammunition you need to take it and move it quickly so that we can be better prepared in the future and um, get people the resources they need to continue education. And Absolutely. To- well, it's not just an education thing. You know, you think about telehealth and that's one of the things in our region as well. We have an aging population. And as hard as it is for a lot of individuals, especially your older demographics, they're, they're, um, they're almost, you know, it, it's, it's something new. And as I mentioned before already, you know, people are reluctant to change. And if things have worked before, uh, they're not really, unless there's a reason for them to try something different, they're not going to. This right here is going to push people to try something different. You know, it's going to push individuals to try telehealth or meet with their um, doctors via video conferencing or the telephone. And, um, you know, it's going to encourage a lot more people to be more self-sufficient, you know, um, instead of relying on somebody that's going to make it work for you. Um, it's going to change a lot of things, but you've got to have the resources. And of course, having internet is one of those resources that is a necessity in order to move forward with the new technology or new opportunities that are um, evolving right now. So if somebody, um, you've won them over and now they, I can tell it's very important to you and they say, Hey, this has now become important to me. Where would they go to kind of get plugged in to help push the initiatives? I think you always have to get your community leaders involved right now. One of our closest counties there, there's the law was passed where it's an electric cooperative can now provide the service for your community. Um, that's where you need to start first, you know, talk to Brendan Presley's office, find out, you know, who you need to talk to in the area that you live in to get involved with the local leaders. Um, you know, a lot of times it's the utility managers, people that are on the boards of utility companies. Um, and then of course your mayors, your aldermen, your just your civic leaders, but then sometimes also your influential community leaders, you know, those that have some weight and explain to them or just facilitate the conversation. A lot of times people are, I think, impressed even by opening uh, the can of worms, <laughs> the conversation itself, you know, sometimes that's the biggest action. People don't talk about it. So there's um, the information doesn't get out. And sometimes it's just as important to just say, Hey, what do you think about this? Or I've heard this, or I've read that it can be as simple as that of just starting the conversation. And before you know it, it snowballs. Um, so that's what I would encourage someone interested in that to do is just get a look, you know, start the conversation. Great. Um, so several of the things you've touched on have really highlighted the need for positive communication. Um, and you're a director of communications. Um, so it's very critical as we're recording right now on April the 14th, uh, in the midst of all the, all of the coronavirus, coronavirus, um, impacts. Um, do you have any practical tips on how businesses can communicate with their team members, uh, and their prospects and clients. Sure. So internally, what immediately comes to mind is um, transparency. I think we're all human. um, And I think in a crisis, we're able to tell what's authentic and what's not. 
there's a lot of fear, there's a lot of misconception, there's a lot of unknown. I think internally you have to keep your people informed um, to the level that they need to know things. I'm not saying get down to the nitty gritty and scare everybody, but I think there's some level of um, being open and informing individuals of what's going to happen and what you're thinking as a leader, especially from a leadership role. When people know or they feel like they've been informed or have been given some guidance, they, they don't feel as anxious. They, they feel, okay, that's okay. And there's a sense of trust that builds and that helps you. So when you do come out of this, your team should be even stronger. So having though, even when a conversation is not maybe needed, but like a check-in, a weekly check-in for teams that just says, hey, how are you doing? What's going on? Are you okay? And maybe putting the person first, but then also saying, okay, you know, even though nothing has changed, but we're here, we're still dredging through this. We're here for you if you need us and we will do our best to, you know, keep things afloat. That, that's kind of what I see internally from a leadership, um, internal. External, very similar, um, but of course, from a community mindset, it all depends on your company's, who your company is, the voice, the authenticity, uh, you know, a lot of times your customer probably already knows who you are as a company. So they are, they'll, they'll know when you're kind of faking it or they'll know when you're, you know, it, it goes a lot with marketing and things, but communication has to be to the point. Um, I don't think, I always believe more in having more of a positive message than a negative one because this too shall pass. And we've heard that from a lot of leaders, especially during this crisis. Um, but I think people want to hear from you, um, especially if they believe in you as a company and they want to know what's next. And then sometimes it's also saying, Hey, I need you to, you know, if you're a restaurant, come support us, you know, buy a meal once out a week or buy for someone else or the gift cards, which we've seen a lot of restaurants do. Um, and a lot of gift cards and a lot of retail asking for support. And, and that's true. And, and that's them being authentic and saying, Hey, we're hurting. Um, we'd love for you to do this to support us because they are hurting right now. And what I find myself saying a lot when I go to my favorite restaurants right now or my businesses that, you know, I look at to shop online or things like that, I think, gosh, I hope they make it at the end of this. I don't want to lose them. I have actually seen restaurants give discounts now for you to call in to order your food. And it's like, that's all we're doing. But that's their strategy to retaining their customers because of the fear and um, the negative vibe out there right now. Um, so I think, you know, just being authentic and communicating in a way that relates directly to what's going on. You know, you're not going to be, I mean, right now, I must say, car, like the cruise ship lines right now are offering discounts. <laughs> well, you know, the people that book their trips, I mean, good for them, you know, which is great. But I don't know if people are ready for that just yet. But um, I don't know. I hope that made sense. I don't know. My communication style is a little different. I always believe in being authentic and, um, you know, because – Companies are extension of people and then you develop your brand who you are just like you are as an individual. So it's just important to keep that integrity and being consistent with who you are, but also vulnerable and open enough to share um, information during the crisis. Yeah. 
I love your answer there. I, I love that. And uh, one of the things John Maxwell says is a, a crisis shows the leader up, right? It, yeah. it tells who the leader really is. And I truly believe that the key there is being transparent. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, I think it's also important, no matter how large the company is, a lot of times you have layers, right? You have management. Mm-hmm. But I think it's important for the leader to really make himself present and really, really communicate himself or herself too, and not just put that down through the chain. But number one, number one priority as always as a leader is to put the people first, but your first responsibility, especially during a time of crisis is to define reality and, uh, and be transparent. So I got a question for you. This is a, this is a question Logan and I kind of riffed on the other day. We did a little podcast and we riffed on it. We thought it was a great question. Just want to get your take on it. Right? So, and you kind of went down the route there. How much information do you actually give to your entire team? Right? Like, I mean, do you, do you tell it all? You lay it all out there, or do you hold just a little bit? How, how much do you? How much information do you give? Well, <laughs> you know, there's always words and things you can say that allude to certain things, but there's definitely some benefit of holding some things back. If you know the ship is sinking. And how fast do you really want to let everybody know to just jump off the board right now? Or do you want them to sit there and wait and try to save the thing, you know? So yeah, there's some benefit to holding things back. I think your, um, like your executive committee should definitely know how things are rolling, what's going on, and they should know the details. I think about it from a nonprofit standpoint, then like on a board, which any board, I guess, with a company, you have your executive team, then you have your committees who are specifically assigned to certain areas who know details, but then you have the big board, which are your employees and all of them have certain things that they know, or they're a part of certain committees, certain information they know, but it's more of a 30,000 foot level view. It's not the, you know, 300, uh, foot view where you're zoomed into the issues and it's more of an overview. I think same goes for employees. It's easier said than done. I know that, um, especially in a negative situation, it just creates more chaos, more uncertainty. People, unless you're an extremely well communicator, things that you say, and obviously the more wordy we are, the harder it gets. People will have a perception of what they want to hear. So even though you may have said something, let's say you were being authentic, honest, you went on, had a video, said something, everyone is going to hear it differently based on their situation, based on their personality, based on their job title. You know, a a manager is going to completely understand it different than a line worker or maybe the janitorial staff. Um, There has to be some level of seriousness, but I don't believe in revealing all your cards or sharing all the information unless it's just a needed thing Um, because I just don't think it suits the company. And you never know. It could be better later on and you just kind of, you know, shot yourself in the foot if you did it a little too soon. But I I definitely think there's benefit to holding on to some information (laughs) as needed. (laughs) Without a specific example, it's kind of hard to hard to 
say that, but you're right. Being transparent and, and being real and authentic and, um, you know, without the lack of information, if you're not giving them information, they're going to make up their own information or go to social media, right? And make up. That's right. Own. That's right. Well, but you can still, um, express your concern or where the situation is heading without getting in the weeds on it. You have to give enough comfort for them to not do that, not go on social media, you know, then you were not being, you know, uh, transparent enough for them to understand what the message is. But you also have to comfort people, especially as a leader on top. If, if they see you being weak or perceive you as being weak, whether the message was not crafted um, strong enough or whether it was not authentic or whatever it may not be, um, I think that's where the disconnect will happen. And again, it goes back to communication. You, that, that's why... People in communication and PR and who are writers, um, speech writers get paid a lot of money to do this because they can craft a message that doesn't create, um, you know, uncertain, even more uncertainty or um, more across the situation into more of a concern for the public. You know, I mean, Donald Trump is the perfect example of that. When he goes off script, it's not good. <laughs> <laughs> it makes great television, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's good. Hey, hey Alma, I've got a question for you. So I see you, I see you in the community a lot. I, you know, I love how you serve. You have a servant's heart and doing a lot of nonprofit and those kind of things. Where would you love to see Tupelo and our region go? Where, what would you love to see happen here? Well, I think Tupelo has always been a pioneer in our region as um, full of individuals who are ready to roll up their sleeves and get dirty. There's no question about it. That is why we have the Tupelo spirit. But I do believe there are some areas that our region as a whole could definitely improve upon. Um, being a part of the commission and working for the Create Foundation for almost five years, definitely broadens my lens. There are a lot of good things happening in Tupelo and we are a hub for a lot of the jobs in our area or Lee County in general. Um, but our region, I feel like my personal opinion is suffering. We're losing population. 10 out of the 17 counties that we cover are losing population and our population is only getting older. Um, this crisis that we're in the midst of right now, I think provides an opportunity for the younger generation. You know, I think about the graduates, the high school graduates right now. My challenge to them would be, besides, you know, thinking the rest of their life, what does your community not have that could be opportunities for you? I don't think we're thinking outside the box enough to entice our um, students, our children to stay here. They all are, you know, glitz and glamour of a big city and uh, the higher paycheck, you know, that they don't realize they'll be paying, you know, um, higher rent. But when you're young, you don't care about that. You care about experiences. And I'm not saying don't go do that. I'm saying, is there enough to get people to come back to support the community that raised them into the individuals that they are? Because our communities play a huge role in that. So I think focusing, having some, innovative ways to hmm, to I don't want to say encourage our young people I, I want to 
<clears throat> ignite them, you know, to kind of think about more of what our community could look like. And I don't know the answer to that. You know, I'm, I'm already old too. I'm over the Youth Foundation where we have 11th and 12th graders from the 17 counties at the Create Foundation. And I'm an old person, you know, even though I'm like, hey, I remember those days. And they're like, you're an old person. <laughs> so that, that, that's what I'd like to see is more engagement of our, uh, our youth because they really are the future. Things will not change if we keep doing them the same way. Um, you know, that people have to have a reason to come back and we've, we've got to figure that out. Yeah. You know, I was listening to the mayor. I'm sorry, Logan. Uh, no, go, go ahead. I was listening to the mayor a couple of years ago. I'd been sitting on this idea and he made the comment of, um, you know, people have great ideas and there's always, I wish they would do this and I wish Tupelo had this or I wish North Mississippi had this. And, you know, he, he made the comment of, well, we would like those things too, but it's not really the responsibility of the city to, to make all those things happen. Just the person with the idea. And I had been sitting on this idea for such a long time. And I said, you know what? He's right. I, I've have a responsibility to bring this forward. It's not somebody else's. And, and that's really what started me down the, down the path of doing the mixed use building downtown. So uh, if you've got an idea, that idea came from somewhere and it came from somebody, right? It's, it's within that's you. To right. Come, so. uh, that's right. Well, with the idea, <clears throat> I found this a lot and I think, maybe because I'm a doer and that's what makes me stand out, but that's what makes all the doers stand out. It's not necessarily that I'm doing anything different than someone else down the street. It's just that I don't necessarily take no for an answer. And it's like you said, Corey, it's following something, your idea and something you've always wanted to do when you go for it. What I find a lot is people get discouraged because they don't know where to start or what to do and they don't know who to talk to. And it goes back to relationship building and communication. You know, people, first of all, have to know that you have the idea. Um, as you guys said, you know, if you make your, if you write it down as a vision for the year, you go towards it and you can, you know, check your progress and measure it and see if you have attained it or not. But a lot of times I think people are just afraid to step out of the box. I know a couple of years ago, uh, really wanted to do a lot of stuff that I had never done before, but because of whatever, I didn't. So I just said, I'm not having any more excuses. I'm going to say yes to everything and go to everything that I have always wanted to go and do. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you, I did those things by myself. I don't, I don't, I don't drag my husband to these events or my friends to these. I just do them. And besides just coming out of my shell, I am an introvert by nature. Um, those are the experiences that I wanted. So I went after them and I did them. And even though I was reluctant and scared and nervous to, you know, cause I'll be there by myself, not knowing any one of these events where there's lots of people that I don't know, whatever the context or the event or social networking thing it was, um, I have made more networking connections, more re established, more re relationships. And you know, really improved my self-confidence even to a degree because I don't have a problem now walking up or talking to strangers or, you know, putting a smile on or turning it on as they would call it because they are people too. And, and a lot of times all of us can connect on that level, but 
pushing yourself as an individual to step out of that comfort zone has been the most rewarding for me personally and a lot of leaders that I know because they are doing those things that a lot of people dream about. And what a lot of people don't realize is that if they just started doing things um, to help them get do whatever or get wherever they want to go, um, that, that makes all the difference. It's actually taking the first couple of steps. Yeah. Go ahead, Logan. Yeah, I, I just wanted to touch on um, your response about um, keeping a lot of our talent here um, mm -hmm. because uh, I, I was one of those people that was raised for most of my life in, in Tupelo, spent um, from the time I was five years old uh, is, is when I moved to Tupelo and went to ICC for a couple of years, Ole Miss for a couple of years, and then moved to Atlanta. Um, absolutely loved Atlanta. Um, moved back here to take the job that I'm, that I'm at now. Um, transferred to Memphis and then transferred back with the same company. Um, but I wouldn't trade Tupelo for anything. It's a, and I, um, I'm pretty passionate now with my friends that live in different places. Like if I could ever find a job for you here, I'd love to get you here because it's a phenomenal cost of living. It's, uh, we have, we really do have a lot of things to do here. We have great local food that our local government has done a phenomenal job of reinvesting in um, redeveloping certain uh, communities, uh, whether it was uh, Joiner or whether it was downtown and all the progress we've made there in the past few years and, and brought great restaurants and um, people like Ethan Nolan that had an idea and said, Hey, I want to have some bicycles downtown that people can ride around. Um, and we have those sorts of things. Um, but we, and we have a lot of talented people, but I think what you said is exactly right. It's how do we get those people engaged? Because 20% of the people are doing 80% of the work and we've got a lot of talented people that are on the sidelines and we've got a lot of talented people that are doing other places and taking their talent there. And so how do we keep those people engaged and, uh, help them take that first step of action to get plugged in? Um, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I've, Tupelo is a, is a great place to to live and you can you can make good wages and you can afford to travel and still go do those things and enjoy cities and destinations and uh, you know where I, I tell my friends that live in big cities hey I've got a four minute drive to the office in the mornings a four minute drive home um, my house costs a third of what it would cost to live in a in the city that you live in and I get to go travel and do more things. Um, so what, you know, what's not to love about that. Now, sometimes it may take, uh, going and experiencing that those cities and, um, you know, it's certainly not right for everybody, but we would, we would be doing ourselves a disservice if we undersold, um, how great of a community that we do have and trying to keep some of the talent that we have here to keep reinvesting. Absolutely. Those are very good points. You know, Tupelo is contagious. It's almost an expectation for you to rise to the top and come up with something. Um, when we start first started talking about this, you know, I'm mostly concerned about our region and you're right. How do we 
engage our communities that are smaller than we are. I can think of a handful of other communities in our region that are similar to Tupelo that have the same passion that are probably smaller, but I think about the rest of the region. I moved to Tupelo because I'm an old soul. I learn based on other people's experiences. Um, a lot of my friends are, you know, probably two decades older than I am plus some. So I learned from other people's experiences. And so moved to Tupelo because it was closer to my um, in-laws and then it just made sense from the financial standpoint. And I had a really nice job coming out of school. I was very fortunate and lucky to get something locally that was good. Um, but a lot of people don't have that opportunity. And I think a lot of people limit themselves as well as to what they can do. Um, even with a one-year or two-year degree, if they decided to go the education route or if they wanted to be an entrepreneur, it's just looking at your community through a different lens. Again, I, I, can, I agree with you in regards to Tupelo. I, I am so blessed to live in this community and be a part of it that I just feel like it's our duty to carry it forward and have it for our young adults. Um, but I am also concerned about the rest of the region because if, you know, there's a lot of other things that go in with, um, you know, a population decline. You think about taxes and infrastructure that is supported from those taxes and other different things that a lot of people don't even realize or have the knowledge of. Um, but, you know, it's also our responsibility as a community to educate our upcoming younger leaders who are stepping up to, to how to deal with these issues because eventually they will have to, especially if they stay or they come back. Um, but yeah, so I'm not saying it's grim or anything and I'm not taking it for granted at all where I'm at and where we're all at, but it is interesting to see where we'll be in the future because Tupelo thrives off of other individuals too that come in here and work. Um, and it scares me if the, you know, if our pool is leaving us for the most part, um, or finding places somewhere else to land, because basically we are educating, you know, the brightest and then we're sending them off. And then a lot of times, you know, individuals that stay are, you know, either have been instilled that they're not good enough, but they really are. So they're limiting themselves or, um, there's not enough of them, you know, which creates a problem as well. So, but anyway, yeah, that's a really good point. Well, we have, we have awesome opportunities here. We have awesome, uh, we have really good education. We have really good churches. We, we have mm -hmm. great restaurants and good industry. I mean, Toyota chose to be right outside of Tupelo, right. we have the largest rural hospital in America. Um, you know, it's, it's, just a great little community. What advice would you have to young people that are getting out of uh, maybe high school or getting out of college and are entering the job market, looking for a trade job, looking for um, uh, some sort of career path? Um, you know, what would you say to those people um, as they're getting plugged in? You know, that's a really difficult question. I have actually, tried to put myself in the shoes of these graduating seniors right now. Um, you know, being that young, you, you are already feeling uncertain. There are so many changes coming and it feels overwhelming. It feels like a tsunami, you know, and then having this crisis on top of it, 
it's very difficult to be optimistic, I would think. I think it'd be easy for me to sit here and, you know, say all those things that I did when I've graduated to get where I am and have the opportunities that I had, you know, but I don't think that's realistic. I think, I don't know what I would say. You know, I have a conference call with my youth foundation this weekend. And as I mentioned there, they are 11th and 12th graders. And I'm curious to see how they feel. What is their temperature? Are they optimistic? Are they pessimistic? What is their outlook? to opportunities three months from now. Um, you know, it's a, I'm not gonna try to answer that question because I just don't feel comfortable not knowing or presenting someone with such a, you know, optimistic view when in reality that may not be the case. Um, but I don't want them to lose hope either. I just don't feel comfortable pulling that, knowing what I know and, um, you know, I just have this empathy for them that, you know, I really don't know what I would do. So I really don't know what to tell them to do. <laughs> I think the key word is the word you used there, Logan, in the question was get plugged in, right? Start networking with, I mean, there are people in our community who are doing great things. They're serving. And I think that's one of the ways that you find where your passions lie too, right? Is, is getting around other people that, that can encourage you and motivate you too. And um, I think that's almost the starting point there is getting plugged in. So, yeah. I think, I that's think a really so good too. point. Yeah, I think so too. I think getting a little bit of taste from several different industries um, and really what's been valuable for me was it was attractive to, to go somewhere else and get a little bit higher paying job, though the cost of living may not uh, – equalize the way it needed to um you're going to get some entry level experience somewhere versus you know if you if you stay closer to tupelo or you stay in northeast mississippi or even if you go somewhere else i, I would just say find a place that you can get plugged in that gets you exposure to how decisions are made um and how businesses are run something that gives you um as much insight and exposure to decision-making processes um, so that you get to be in the room with those people that are making those decisions uh, has been really, really valuable for me. Um, and that's what I really like about Tupelo is that you can go work at a small business and see what blueprint people use. Mm -hmm. Hey, um, you, you talked about going away from Tupelo and coming back. We did the same thing. We moved away, lived in um, Florence, Alabama, Jackson, Mississippi, and, and Phoenix, Arizona. We were, you know, I'd count, I'd become city-fied, right? And uh, we had prayed about where we were going next and really felt God was leading us back to Tupelo. And uh, my initial thought was, no, no, not back to Tupelo, right? <laughs> but but my, I had a misconception of what it was, right? And we come back, and it wasn't until we really got plugged in to saw the people were awesome. They're great. When I think of opportunity, uh, I, I don't mean that in a bad way of taking advantage of people, right? There's a great opportunity that exists here, and, and I think people are hungry for opportunity and, and innovation here. So that's what excites me about Tupelo too. And just the people, people are great. Well, I, I think that's because you have an, uh, you have a, 
perception of abundance versus scarcity where that's not necessarily the case for, for everybody. Um, and also I think we've, we've talked about and listened to a podcast together with Inky Johnson that talks about how perspective drives performance and how you view what you do affects how you do what you do. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it, that's a hundred percent true. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, if you, wherever it is that you live, if you view it as a little bitty old Tupelo and there's no opportunity, then that's going to be true. Mm -hmm. If you view it as Tupelo, Mississippi is awesome. There's an incredible amount of opportunity here. Then that's going to be true. Um, so that, that perspective will drive your performance. Absolutely. Uh, Alvin, I, I'm curious, uh, who's, who's, is there one person, uh, that's really made an impact on you that's really shaped you into who you are today? That's a really good question, Corey. Um, I am deeply rooted in my faith. So that speaks a lot for where I'm at. I don't think I could be who I am today without my faith. But it's an interesting story because all throughout my life, I have had certain individuals be there for me during the circumstances that I was a part of. But um, so there's not one individual, there are several. Um, but I do have to give a lot of credit to my better half right now. Um, my husband, Jamie, he, we've been married over 12 years and he, um, he is definitely is a constant in the, you know, the, the yin and yang, you know, um, in our relationship, we just work together, but, um, you have to have a strong support system, um, in anything that you do. And I've had that throughout my life, um, from many different individuals, but he's by far the longest I've had. And, um, he's not, you know, just my husband, he's my partner, he's my friend. Um, and we, our motto is we share our lives. So we don't, you know, I'm telling you any idea I have ever had. Um, if I say it out loud, it's a go ahead, go ahead. You know, there's complete trust. And I honestly don't think I could say the same coming from me. So that, I think that's a lot. And, um, so I guess he would be my one person. Oh, that's good. That's good. Having a relationship like that. I mean, same here, you know, having somebody, uh, my wife's, you know, a great support, great encourager and those kind of things. Um, well, one thing on that, you, you, you triggered into my mind of relationships and how important it is. And I heard somebody ask, well, how much should I give in a relationship? Is it, you know, is it 50, 50? Is it me give 60? Is it, you know, them give 40 for the relationship to matter. And, and the answer is no, it's a hundred, right? You give a hundred and they give a hundred if you want the relationship mm -hmm. to last. And uh, that's what it sounds like you and your husband are, are, are doing. And um, I think that's awesome. I loved your motto there. That was great. So, mm -hmm. Thank you. Yeah, I agree with that. You know, I think a lot about Stephen Covey, you know, and he yeah. talks a lot about filling the cup and things like that. And people, it, 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 I don't, you know, to your point, yes, you give a hundred, but I think, um, sometimes we give less depending on where we're at. Sometimes we give more depending on circumstances, situation. You know, a lot of us have children. Um, both of you, both of the individuals signed up to be a parent, so you don't really have a choice there. Um, but I, I think, um, you know, it, it can change with situations on how much you give or how much you put in, but you always have to be mindful of your decisions and how they impact those around you. 
um, because you can't just take, 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 and you can't just give, give, give. There'll be, you have to have a little bit of a balance, even though it may not be perfect. Um, and you have to be aware of that. And a lot of times, um, you know, communication is so critical in relationships, but also being authentic and honest. And, you know, if you've dropped the ball on something or you haven't been giving as much as you should have been, you know, you, you have to be able to step back and say, okay, yeah, that's true. And I'm sorry. And, you know, take, um, take full responsibility for it. Um, acknowledge it and move on and do better. You know, we're all humans. Um, we're not robots. We're not perfect individuals. I think a lot of people are yearning for that right now, especially in the world we live in with the social media. Um, you know, we all worry about creating our brand and who we are, but I don't think we're, there's a handful of people that I feel like are authentic about it. Everything else seems like a business. And, you know, we, we are looking at life through a filter where a lot of people don't realize what real life is like. And, you know, being part of this crisis, you know, I've seen this quote floating around a lot right now on social media. It's like, you know, right now is a good time to evaluate, you know, what uh, something along the lines of what you have been devoted to and maybe you need to, you know, realize if you need to even go back to those things, you know, maybe that they were not important. One example that I always give and that I try to be intentional about is, you know, a lot of us say we put our families first, but do we really do that? Um, in this crisis, a, a lot of us have had no choice. And then you see a lot of memes and funny stuff, which is true in regards to how we're dealing with our children and our, our, our spouses. But at the same time, you know, if we really love our families that much, is it really that bad to be at home with them, you know, 24 seven? Is it really that bad to create new experiences? Sure, you can't go shopping, you know, or whatever most people do or go out, but there are still a lot of opportunities for you to do those and being intentional in the moment and making that a priority if it really is your priority. And right now, all of us have the opportunity to go with what we say our priority are, but you know, it really makes me think like, is it really, you know, because a lot of us say that um, and I don't see people fulfilling it and then they have regrets. And my, my thing is I don't want to have regrets and I hope more people live like that going forward. Mm, that's good. Living life intentionally, right? Yeah. It's a hard thing to say, you know, you hear a lot of people saying that it's a very difficult practice. Um, especially if you're not self-aware at first, I feel like in order for you to be intentional, you really need to know who you are, what your priorities are and all those other important things. But you know, if moments in life passes you by and you wake up one day, you know, when you are in the midst of a, you know, crisis, you know, we hear a lot about this, midlife crisis or you have individuals that wake up and say I want a divorce from their spouse I think it stems from that it's from not living intentionally and not appreciating what you have and you can you can you can have it all it's just how much of it you can and then of course it, there's a lot of factors it's easier said than none um, but I think you just have to be real with yourself it's good yeah, that reminds me of uh, something that Jesse Itzler has talked about, the, the three different types of regrets. There are the regrets that are in the past that we can't fix. There are the regrets that are in the past that we can go and we can fix, we can make up for, we can apologize, we can do what we need to do to take care of those. And then there are future regrets, and we can live in such a way that those don't come to pass. 
Yeah. Um, and, and so he, he kind of says he lives in fear of having future regrets and it makes him be very present where he is and it, and it allows him to be intentional about what he does so that he doesn't have regrets in the future. Uh, and I thought that was pretty insightful. Yeah, it is. It's interesting. I've, um, I've had that advice given, given to me before that I did on something and, um, you know, having no regrets and giving you your all in a short period of time is much easier to say than your entire life. But I, I think that's a really good thing to strive for because it, you know, when you interview, you know, individuals that are 80, 90, a hundred years old, they have a lot of insight. It just that it takes us a little longer to get there. Um, and of course, for me personally, there's only so much advice you can take. You've got to start living life. You can't just, you know, soak it all in and live it. You know, you've got to, because you make mistakes and I'm a human and I, I definitely make mistakes and do my best. And, um, but it, it's, it's interesting. And I, I started doing that a couple of years ago, um, like putting away my work when I get home, not being married to my Blackberry at the time or my emails and feeling this constant pressure of doing that. Um, because I realized, you know, when you work an eight to five job, you're only with your family for about three hours a day, especially if you have children, because they, you know, there's a lot of responsibilities between that time, cooking dinner, homework, clean, whatever. But then, you know, a lot of times we're tired, so we go to bed. So if you're in bed by nine or 10, but before that you did all that, that's a very short time to be with your family. Um, and you have to be intentional about it. They don't know you if all they see you is crashing on the couch and ignoring them and not being present in their lives or as simple as hearing how their day was and not just saying, Hey, how was your day? But like intentionally being like, Hey, you know, what did you and your friends do today? What's the best part? You know, actually caring about that answer or being open to it um, more than anything. And sometimes it's the small things. It's not, not the big things. Sometimes, sometimes it's the smallest things um, that make a difference. Yeah. Um, laying down with our kids, I've started asking them two questions when we lay down at night. Uh, I'll ask them, um, what did you learn today? And it's always interesting to hear their perspective on things, right? Like, oh, yeah. well, I, I learned how to tie Brady's shoe, right? Or something like that. <laughs> Isn't then, it amazing to have the opportunity to do that? You yeah, know? Right? Well, we've been on this chaotic thing. We've realized that our daughter rather stay at home with us than go to school. I mean, she has more fun with us doing stuff and we're pretty active family, but you know, um, that that's pretty cool, you know, and I went, um, just some insight. It just warms my heart because I am such an a top personality and I really do have to try being like, you know, the cuddly warm. Oh yes. You know, um, but Alara used to just be like a daddy's girl. And she would always say, I'm just a daddy's girl. And like, I always feel like I got nothing. Like I get shafted. Like I'm just, you know, the one that gave birth, I guess. <laughs> and then here lately, she's been, Jamie actually talked to her the other day and uh, she, he asked her whose girl she was. And, and she said, I'm a daddy's girl. But then she thought about it. And she goes, I'm a mommy's girl too. So she, you know, it's just, it's, it's neat. And, and, it just melts my heart and it's, it's, it's good to see that. And that's, I think that's what life is about. It's about those small moments that we all strive to, to be in, but they're also letting them know we're not perfect. She definitely knows that. <laughs> I tell her that I'm like, I'm not perfect. So we, we've touched on a lot of different things today, but I've gotten some really good takeaways. Um, I mean, 
you were top 40 under 40 in Tupelo for a reason. I think number one, that's because like you said, you're a doer at some point you just have to start and take action. Um, and, and then the importance of authenticity and the importance of being engaged and present, uh, and, and intentional. I think those are all some, some really good things that if we could take and apply those, um, in our lives a little bit, we would, um, we would have more fulfillment. We would have better personal lives, better lives with our families and, and in our communities. Uh, but if you had to boil it down to just one and you had a message to put on a billboard that everybody would see or everybody in Tupelo would see or Northeast Mississippi, what would that message say? Okay. That's a pretty easy one. Um, actions speak louder than words. That would be like my quote with, unless some PR and marketing people come up with a pictorial version of that. I, I really um, believe in that. I am an action person. A lot of times um, I believe in if you see something that you don't like, it's up to you to change it mm -hmm. or do something about it, you know, or if you, um, you know, I think that's part of my personality though, you know, it's intertwined in who I am, but you know, if there's injustice being done or things could be better, you know, I'll be willing to pick up the torch and make it happen because I am passionate about improving, you know, the community that I'm a part of. I feel like Mississippi, Northeast Mississippi and the people here have given me so much, especially since I am a transplant, as most people would say, this is my home and I want to leave it better than I found it. And I also want to leave it better for future generations. It's not just, about me and the people that are here now. It's also about our children and who are going to be here, you know, after us. And I think it's only re responsible for us to ensure that it can be the best that it can be. Um, the missions that I'm a part of are very important to me and they all have a different meaning to me. But I think it's important to get involved and just take action. You know, we hear that a lot and it's almost cliche, but it really is true because as we talked about earlier today, it's just sometimes you just got to do something about it. And if you don't like it, make it happen. No one else is going to do it for you. So you just got to make it happen. So actions speak louder than words. Mm. Yeah, we're gonna have to get her two two billboards. Action speak louder than words, and if you don't like it, make it happen. There you go. Look, people used to get mad at me all the time. I used to just go around saying that, and I think I've made some people mad at me. I don't like excuses. <laughs> it's like if you don't like something or if it's not working, just pivot, change, and make it happen. Like that's it. You know, like Great. I don't do excuses well. I I, I don't tolerate them for myself, but. It's kind of hard. I need to not be so harsh on people and not yell that out at them. <laughs> well, I'm just glad we don't have to find a title for the podcast because it's going to be pivot, change, and make it happen. So. <laughs> yeah, we got it. You gave it to us. Yeah. I love that, Alvin. That, that was good. That was real good. Well, Alvin, I, I greatly, and, and Logan and I both, greatly appreciate you being on. I know you've added a ton of value to us and anyone that takes a listen to this. Thank you guys for listening today. We hope this has added value to you. And if it has, hey, give us a rate, review it, uh, subscribe, and share it with a friend or family member. And also, if you've got a story to tell or if you know someone's got a story, uh, we'd love to hear it. Love to get your story out there. Logan, you care to sign us off? 
Absolutely. As you go about your week this week, ask yourself, would you recommend yourself as a spouse, partner, employee, team member? Um, would you recommend yourself? And it'll change the way that you live your life. Thank you, guys.